This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com, and I'm here with the head of hoops, our good friend Aaron Beach. Hey, y'all. And it's the day before the Pac-12 tournament, Tuesday. We'll be putting this out a little bit later today. And uh, had to track down Mr. Beach. Had to find him in the uh, deep, dark recesses of Mount Lake Terrace. He bribed me with barbecue and beer. Uh, <laughs> in that order. Yep. And... Uh, but we wanted to make sure everyone we, we we you know we wanted to put something out. We hadn't put out uh, anything in basketball and, and hoops related for a podcast since the last time we talked, and a lot has changed since then. A lot of losing, but then all of a sudden, the last couple games out of nowhere, they pull something right out of the fire, and they start to become the team that we all thought they would. Yep. I, I, all of a sudden, we are. Talking about Dark Horse again, right? And you're hearing it in the media, and you're seeing it on Twitter, and now Washington might be the, you know, the team to, to watch out for. And, and part of me agrees. Well, it, it's interesting because, of course, they're a 12 seed. I mean, they were still the, the bottom team of the conference, even with the, the wins at Arizona State and Arizona. With a net ranking of, what is it, in the mid-50s Yeah, the now? interesting thing was is that before the Arizona State game, I thought I saw the stat where Washington, as the worst-placed team in the Pac-12, still had a net that was better than UCLA yeah. at the time, who was the best rate or the, the top team in yep. the Pac-12. Obviously, that's changed a little bit. But it, it just goes to show you how close the margins and fine the margins have been for Washington basketball. Yep. Losing by three, losing by two, losing by six, losing by four, losing by two, losing by four. You know, they've only been blown out a couple times. And when I say blowouts, I mean, we're still talking 12, 14-point losses. Um, and then all of a sudden, you look at those games like against USC, they win by 32. The game against Oregon State, same thing, basically. Same thing against Cal. So they had these just monster wins you know, you know, very, very lightly sprinkled into all these incredibly close losses. And I'm sure that has to be really, really mentally draining on these guys. And I think they maybe got out a little bit of their frustrations on the road in the desert. Probably. I, I mean, I'll give you that. Uh, maybe they just lived up, or at least the young guys lived up to their potential at the same time. Yeah. Right? Uh, Stewart's been doing it all season. But we've finally seen, you know, Jade McDaniels, play like the guy that we thought was coming to Washington in the first place. And it's had, you know, huge ramifications. I asked you before a little earlier, if I had, you know, brought this up to you in a podcast before the season started, how many Pac-12 freshman player of the week honors would Jaden McDaniels and Isaiah Stewart split? What would your answer have been? I bet three and three, you know, yeah. at this point, yeah. figure probably. Because to me, 
it felt like outside of those two guys, who were the other guys that were going to get in on those awards? The Akongwu from USC. Yep. And, the Arizona and maybe Sean, maybe Mannion and Green from Arizona. Yep. Other than those other three guys, to me, Jaden McDaniels and Isaiah Stewart were the dominant. They were supposed to be the dominant freshmen. Stewart's lived up to the billing, Absolutely. as you just said. And then, obviously, McDaniels has run really hot and cold. But right now, he is absolutely living up to his his billing in terms of not just a difference maker and a guy that can get you points on his own, but what he does defensively as a mismatch, as a wing guy out there, and can also help out on Stewart with blocks, being a rim protector, all those things. I think um, we're obviously seeing the best of Jaden McDaniels right now. No doubt. Um, you know, when we last talked which was, what, about three weeks ago, uh, I was super negative, right? And I don't like being that negative about these local kids in particular. It drives me nuts, but uh, he was killing me uh, as a fan of the program and just want to see them succeed. But now, if you, I don't know what, the, what mental shift, who's gotten in his head. Um, I don't know where that's changed, but something's flipped. You see his court demeanor is way more mature, right? He's not responding emotionally. The expressions on his face are... Um, it, it just, it looks like he's leveled up maturity wise. And, um, the last, particularly on the Arizona trip, his decision-making was infinitely better, right? The turnovers weren't there. Uh, he take good, he, t- he took good shots. Um, you know, a contested shot for Jaden is not, or excuse me, a non-contested shot for Jaden is a contested shot for most guys. So sometimes it's a little hard to tell when he's making the right decision and when he's putting up a shot, whether or not he should or not. But, um, Definitely been in the positive, you know. Um, I, I've been really impressed. I think the biggest thing there's two things that have really that I've <clears throat> noticed a lot, especially in the last couple games with Jaden. One is that it really feels like his defense catalyzes his offense. Mm-hmm. Like when he got, you know, when he had the six blocks in the first half against USC, you could tell how that made a difference. Mm-hmm. He was just engaged, yep. and you could tell like that backside block early in the game against Najee. And against Arizona yeah. was a was a big deal. I mean, you could tell immediately. Okay, he's he's into this. He's focused. He's he's going after it. So, I th- and then the other thing I noticed too is that he is really trying hard. I think he's almost doing it deliberately to get his other guys involved. Like he is more than ready to give the ball up to Marcus Sahonis or 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 Elijah Hardy uh, or Nas Carter or Jamal Bay or whoever it is in terms of running the show in terms of, you know, if he gets a rebound, he's looking to outlet. Even if he gets the ball and he's going up the floor, as soon as he gets past midcourt, he's finding the the guard. Yep. He's finding the other guy to start to instigate things a little bit. And I think some of the one-on-one stuff, it's still there. But when he's doing it, you can almost tell that he's doing it with more of a plan than before. I think before he just felt like, hey, I'm just – I'm the best guy out here. I can just do it on my talent. Mm-hmm. And then I think slowly but surely he realized, no, I got to come with something specific. I got to, you know, at worst case, I got to get fouled. I got to do something else yep. to, uh, to to factor the game, you know, and, try, and trying to not just do everything. And, and I also feel like, you know, whether it's his defense or whether it's just the selflessness or what have you, it's also impacted his shooting. Mm-hmm. He's obviously shooting better. Yep. He's up over 40% um, now. Yeah, and, and he's making a difference at the foul line. He's making his foul shots. I mean, everything is coming together at the right moment for him. And I don't know, maybe it's one of those things where since he knows he's one and done, he sees the light at the end of the tunnel, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, man, I don't have any, I don't have any longer to, 
screw around here. We, we got to get, we got to get the show on the road. Well, and furthermore, like, how does he want to leave his legacy here? Right. These last, you know, this last couple of weeks is really going to define how people remember him. Right. Yeah. Long term. And, and it's, it's interesting too, Beach, because I wondered if he even really thought about those kinds of things maybe until a, a little while ago. Maybe mm -hmm. someone has finally impressed upon him that if, is this is how you really want to leave it? Is this really how you want to go out? Well. So I also think one thing that has to be factored in, and I don't know how important it's been or, or how, whether it's underrated or overrated, but you could just tell the last couple of weeks when he was struggling and he was trying to put stuff together and, and it wasn't coming together or he might pick up a T or something. His, his guys really picked him up, mm -hmm. whether it was the staff or whether it was his teammates. And I, and I wonder if that positive reinforcement is finally starting to pay dividends a little bit. Well, and I say that's like for the whole team, really, yeah. because it, it's, it's really impressed me how Hops managed to keep their, them mentally afloat through all this losing. Losing sucks, right? Nobody likes losing. Losing is not fun. Um, and they've been losing a lot. But yet somehow, it, at least on the surface by appearance, they seem to have kept it together. The attitudes are good. Uh, they're not turning on each other. You don't see a bunch of comments coming out publicly or in social media, um, you know, selling individuals or coaching staff or anything down the river. Um, there's been none of that. So that's a credit to Hopkins and and Will and Rice. I mean, I, I've been really impressed by that. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Looking at the other guard situation, what are your thoughts on how Hop has blended in the guys to take over for Quad A Green? We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about Quad A's situation and whether or not he'll factor into the tournament if he even gets a chance to play. We'll talk a little bit about that in a bit. But I wanted to get your take on how you feel he's done getting Sahonis up to speed at the same time bringing in Hardy for spot things, and obviously he's playing a lot more now. And then obviously the play of Nas Carter and Jamal Bay and how all of those guys have kind of found their niche and, and have – kind of been able to knit something together yeah. that all of a sudden looks like something that could be uh that could that, competitive. that could they could do yeah that, that can help them do yeah. something in the tournament i think so two different questions there there's point guard yeah. right which is you lose quad a you lose your rudder right and washington's really struggled over the last two months of the season especially um and, and they've come both and you're right hop's done so much experimentation the last well, he's never stopped. This season has been one nonstop experiment, right? right. The, the rotations, everything is every game, game by game different. Um, and it really hasn't stopped with, with this last few games because Hardy has obviously found more and more of a role. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I'm pleasantly surprised by the outcome in the desert. A sweep in the desert is rare. And especially with this team. First time in almost Pretty 10 impressive. years. Yeah. Um, Sahonis, to me, has definitely been the better of the two between Hardy and uh, and himself. Um, so to get a couple wins out of there with with really kind of below average point guard play has been, uh, was surprising. Yeah. Um, that being said, I'm not going to pretend that, you know, Hardy's the end-all be-all at point guard either. Um, he can't shoot a lick. You know, shooting 15% from three. There's certain things that... You know, putting things, putting four games together 
here in this Pac-12 tournament with the point guards that Washington has currently, I think it's going to be a tall ask, even though I think that they are the dark horse and they have the two probably most talented guys in the league. And anytime you've got that, anything can happen. Yeah. Um, but if you're asking me whether or not the point guard, they can get enough productivity or execution out of their point guard position to win four in a row, I'm not sure. Because as much as I can appreciate the effort that Hardy has put in, and he's still struggling in a lot of ways. Uh, he does bring that tenacity, that kind of Benoit Overton, you know, uh, scattered mm-hmm. recklessness. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you can't hit a bucket. Um, after a while, you know, there's going to be points that you need to have, and I don't know if he's the guy to get them. So I'll tell you what, I, I'm really, I'm really mixed about Elijah Hardy for a couple of those reasons. You're absolutely right. Um, in terms of the tenacity, the I think the Vinoy Overton comparison defensively is is somewhat apt. I don't think he's kind of I don't I don't know if he's that. Oh, out of he's control. not. No, no, no. He's Vinoy, not. Vinoy was he's a little not that effective. Yeah, he's a yeah. little different animal there. But I still believe that uh, that Hop thinks he's his best on ball guard. He's yeah. his best on ball defender right. in, in the perimeter. Yep. Um, he can harass guys and do that. I, I think that's important. But I would say I would kind of attack that thing from a little different angle and say that. You know, while it looks like Hardy has kind of picked up the brain dead moments that we kind of ascribed to, to McDaniels, and I mean, like the Arizona game, picks oh, up picks pick, up yeah. a T for going yeah, to, yeah, the, sorry, to going yes. to their bench <laughs> was absolutely yeah. absurd. Yep. I don't know what he tried to accomplish, and then when they're doing the line after the game, he's waving to the fans, yeah. and he's like, you know, like when you might play you know, him a week from then, and, and you're thinking, what is what is he done? Yeah, this year to all of a sudden feel like he's entitled to act that way. Yeah. It, it, it boggles the mind. But on the other hand, I will give him a ton of credit because I really do feel it's that kind of swag mm-hmm. and that kind of attitude that these guys have sorely been lacking. Yeah, And and I don't know if that has to manifest itself all the time in those kind of knucklehead type situations. But you know what? I think Hopkins at this point is almost kind of like if we have to have a brain dead moment or two to get these guys believing that they that they have the attitude and they have the that 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 kicks in their competitiveness and really can put them at that next level, you almost kind of have to live with it. I think maybe I, I was so look the the outcome was optimal yeah. in Arizona, right? Elijah played I don't I think near thirty minutes yeah, or um, and uh, Sahonis didn't play much. Not nearly as Not much. as much, yeah. And I'm sitting there wondering why, with a guy as well as Sahonis, in my opinion, is playing um, and shooting better than 40% from three, which is one of the biggest warts on the team, is their lack of a consistent three-point shooter. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure why I didn't play more. So that was one. that was the one thing in the desert that I questioned. Like, why is Marcus not playing more? Um, because to me, he's been the biggest revelation in the last, besides Jaden, of course, in the last, you know, couple of weeks or so. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. I mean, there's, but the beautiful part about that question is, is that now all of a sudden it feels like they have some options. Mm-hmm. They can maybe do Go a couple different hand. things, yeah. do that. Or if they need to get a couple stops, maybe he puts in Hardy and, and they, you know, they even had a moment, I mean, uh, you know, where they have gone man for a little bit at times if they needed to get a switch up. But I think it's really important to not understate how Washington was able to do offensively against two very different defensive philosophies. 
Arizona State was going to try to harass the crap out of them. They scored 90 points on the road. Mm -hmm. That's got to do wonders for your confidence offensively. Right. And then to be able to go to Arizona, which is going to be a little bit more traditional, in-your-face, half-court defense, man-to-man, get up in your grill, and that kind of stuff, for them to be able to – and especially when you're down 10, 11, 12 points in the the second half, to be able to come back in in what is no question – the toughest road environment in the Pac-12. Mikhail is, you know, I've mm-hmm. covered a few games there. Um, it's nuts. And, you know, the second half booing with the refs and all that, that's a very common occurrence. Those guys, they're not used to losing ever there. I mean, they're, right. it's, it's pretty crazy. So for them to do that in back-to-back years, because they won, they won there last year, that's a pretty huge deal. And it, and it does underscore what they were capable of doing this year, which, of course, goes back to the general question. What the hell happened? Well, and the other thing is, too, um, they fed Stewart the ball, right? They made a deliberate effort yeah, to, they had to. to get him the ball. Yeah, they had and to. And <laughs> for whatever reason, we haven't seen that, you know, most of February well, I think, January. I think right? to, to answer that, in my the way I've looked at it, is that I think it's finally taken them this long to figure out how to do to it. To figure out how to do it. To, <laughs> to, well, because what is true, basketball? True, true. Basketball, as you know, as a coach, it's always a game of counters. Yeah. So you've got a set, they got a set. They figure out how to counter it. Now you got to counter the counter. Yep. They counter the counter the counter, yep. and it goes on and on and on. I think it's literally taken them this long, especially when you take out that piece with Quad A not in there. So now all of a sudden you you see some of the dicier feeds into the post over yep. the top. It, it's taken them a while and a lot of practice for them to to get somewhat uh, proficient at it. I yep. think. No, agreed. But the thing that what that's done though is a. You risk foul trouble trying to defend Isaiah, right? Yeah. I mean, that's so that's the first thing. And it just it it creates so much space, so much room underneath the basket because you're doubling, you're having to double him to stop him, right? So all of a sudden, everybody's open, right? Somebody's always open when he has the ball underneath the basket um, just because how you have to defend him. And they're finally figuring out how to use that, right? Um, and it it showed up. Yeah. Uh, particularly, Arizona State's pretty small. Yeah. You know, oh, they yeah. have a big. Yeah. Right. But Arizona did. And yeah. he, he he just proved, Isaiah proved in that game, you, you just can't, even if you've got a high-quality big underneath, you've got to double me. Right? And I understand that everyone talks about Isaiah Stewart's motor and how it just doesn't stop and all that stuff. But I think it's taken me a whole season to realize why that is so crucial to his overall game. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and and you'd think it's it manifests itself in very obvious ways in terms of, oh, he gets up and down the floor, he's available, all this stuff. That's all true. The reason why I think he is so proficient and, and, and at a level different than not just players that are freshmen of his size, but of any college basketball player that, that plays his position, mm-hmm. is that when you compare that to a Jaden McDaniels or someone else who you see their head drop or you see a letdown mm-hmm. if they're not getting fed, if they don't have the opportunity to get the ball and go to work. He never stops never. working. Nope. So it's not just the motor to get up and down the floor, but once he's in the post, you can tell when he's frustrated. Mm-hmm. Does that ever affect him the next time he's down on the floor? No. I don't know if I've ever seen it. No, he takes he, it's, it out. It's like, <laughs> he takes it's like, it out on the defender. No, but here's the weird... So the, so I'm going to mix my, metaphor, my sports metaphors. I'm going to okay. go really nuts here. Okay. He plays the game with like a cornerback mentality. Yeah. It's like next play, next play, next play. I don't care if I just got called for an offensive foul that was the worst call in the history of college basketball. Next time I get the ball, 
it's next play. I don't even know what happened in the last play. It's like he literally has it's like it's like a it's like a new play literally every play and he has the unique and incredible ability to just whitewash whatever happened. Yep. And it doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter. And I think that's the real genius behind how Isaiah, how Isaiah Stewart plays to me. Well, and so he gets down the floor so fast, right? There's nonstop effort. That rebound goes out. He's outletting, and he's down the floor yeah. fa- as fast as any of the guards. But what that does is that allows him to set up and get position in the post yeah. you know, before the defense is ready for it. So he gets a great position. He gets seals. He gets it all. Right. Um, and now they're figuring out how to get it to him. Um, there's but nobody no, but, in the Pac-12 that but But, notice, that. but like, as you said, Beach, all, the, all those things you would think – would lend himself to be getting the ball very early in, in sets mm-hmm. and, and, and in transition. They've done a better job of that, but notice how many times a guy in the outlet on the wing just it doesn't want to pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. And yet that you can tell he's a little bit frustrated by it because he's working his socks off. He's just absolutely getting bullied left and right. And, and you know, every team is trying to take him out physically. Right. I mean, that's easy. You can just you can just tell. But he, it never seems to affect him the next time he comes down to the floor, and that's been the most incredible thing I've seen about him. So, yep, I, I just, I, I just am amazed, and um, like I said, again, not just with Jaden, but with Isaiah Stewart. You know, enjoy him, yeah, because you, you get one last chance. I mean, it, this might be Wednesday it. could be the you yeah. could be the last chance, but yep. they could go all the way to Saturday too. We'll see. Yep. Um, the second part, we were going to go back with with uh, with Nas and um, Jamal Bay. You know, two guys who are kind of starting to, to do it in different ways. You see, you even saw it in the last homestand here in Seattle, where there are stretches where Nas can literally just take over the game. Yep. I mean, and you and you can see him say, "I want give me the give me the ball. Yep. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go drive. I'm I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna shoot. I'm gonna do whatever it takes, even if I have to go dunk on somebody or do whatever." Get to the foul line, all those things. He's capable of doing it yep. in these little stretches. What stops him from being the guy that can score twenty every game? Because he's clearly got that in him. And Hop talks about it all the time. It doesn't matter who they're playing against. He always thinks he's the best guy on the floor. Yeah, isn't that funny? I, I I've wondered the same thing to be honest. Because the way he started the season, you're like, oh, this guy's going to be, you know, he's going to average eighteen a game and um, be leading this team the same way Jalen did. And uh, just as it happened. But he's picked that up here at the end. I, I don't know the answer to that, Chris. I wonder it myself. Yeah, it's just incredible. But I think you're also starting to see a little bit of it from Jamal Bay. And we were talking uh, off air a little bit earlier about his kind of renaissance, which I think a lot of people will find very encouraging. But at the same time, for those that were paying attention, he did this exact same thing last yeah. year. Yeah. And as a true freshman, you get that. Yep. You're thinking, okay, it takes him a, it takes him the year to get going, to figure it out, and then all of a sudden, in the Pac-12 tournament, in the NCAA tournament, he's coming good. Yep. And you're thinking, wow, this really bodes well for the 2019-2020 the season. And now all of a sudden, it feels like we're almost back to square one, where he's doing the exact same thing he did 12 months ago. Yeah, I did like seeing him knocking down bucket buckets late in the game against Arizona. That oh, was sure. uh, encouraging. No, huge. He's doing a ton of his work at the line, right? Yep. Nope. Um Cannot cannot understate that. Yeah, so he's shooting a high percentage. Um, he's taking good shots. He doesn't shoot enough of them. But, uh, yeah, we're finally at least starting to see him emerge. As, at least he's a great defensive player, yeah. right? He's rarely out of position. He he rarely turns the ball over. There's a lot of things to like about him, but, he, you know, if you're not scoring, you're not scoring. There was one really key sequence, 
against Arizona State late in the game where he had a steal and the ball slipped away in their end and Arizona State got the ball back. And mm-hmm. you can tell he was immediately like, oh, I screwed up. I yep. didn't get it. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, so you kind of really quickly said, saw the head drop. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he got back in the game, got a key rebound, and was able to, you know, go ahead and parlay that into – into making another couple key moments down the stretch to help them win that game. Another guy who I think is growing up in front of our eyes and starting to make those plays where, okay, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta forget that happened. I gotta, I gotta stay locked in and figure out a way yeah. to help this team win. He's definitely a guy that seems to be affected by the struggles, yeah. right? Um, and not, you know, all plays, players deal with it differently. Because, because of all the guys on the team that seems reluctant to pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. He's right at the top of the yep. list, and you can I, almost I, see it on his face and in his body. Well, like, you can almost see that it hesitation. On the, that you, you can almost see pause. it on Hump's face. Yep, you know, or yeah, on the like, coach's face. Like, shoot it. Yeah, they they want him to fire. Yep. They want him to. And it's not because he's some sort of fifty percent shooter for three or anything, but he has shown. I mean, he showed all the way back in the exhibition game. He was yeah. the leading scorer when they played SPU. Yep. I mean, he had what twenty points plus, and and he was burying stuff. And he can score. Yep. And again, you're right. Going to the foul line, what he's been able to do at the line, and all the guys. I mean, those last. And that's two a games, mental thing. That's an encouraging mental thing. It's not right? just an encouraging mental thing, but it. it I think it's got to free them up defensively. Yeah. To know that when when you've put in enough work on the offensive end. To know that you can get a foul and you can just bury those, and all of a sudden now you're just you're just extending. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a death by a thousand paper cuts for that other team. Yep. They're just oh okay, they got another point. Oh my god, they got another couple points. Yep. And and now they're locking us down, and they're forcing us to to heave those Remy Martin thirty footers or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And it and and now all of a sudden that that's kind of a game changer. All right. Yep. I mean that's that's something that they clearly haven't had. Right. And it, and it is, is that is that just simply a function of focus? No, like I mean, everyone's wired different, and particularly for Bay, I think success breeds success for him, and he just needs to feel it. He needs to see the ball go through the hoop. Yeah. Um, you know, as he makes the free throws, the game seems to improve. Right yeah. for him, things slow down, um, and he's just one of those guys. You know, like where you got a guy like a totally unheralded guy like Sahonis, yeah. who. You know, has no qualms taking a big shot, right? Just comes out of the gate. I don't care if you don't know my name. I'm going to shoot it anyway. And he's putting it in. Meanwhile, you got a guy at Bay who is, you know, fairly heralded. And people did know. Right. Came in with a lot of accolades and a high-scoring uh, uh, reputation. But it just shows you how important it is, um, you know, to make that mental adjustment and that switch. Mm-hmm. You know, to becoming, hey, man, feeling good about yourself as a scorer and believing that the ball's going to go in. Right. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The front court, besides Stuart, we could talk a little bit about Hamir Wright. We could talk, obviously we've talked a bunch about Jaden, but then 
a little surprising that some of these other guys haven't come in, whether it's a name. I don't know if no. Nate Roberts is dealing with He's something or, or BPJ. It feels so. like Hop really is wedded to this kind of eight-man rotation. That's he what he's, he wants to be, that guy. And I, I feel like at kind of that mid-conference play stretch, he was trying, at least to integrate Nate, not so much BPJ, but especially Nate. To, how can we integrate him into this? And as much as he brings a great energy and he's super athletic and yeah. disruptive, uh, I don't think he ever really synced. Uh, offensively, yeah. and he didn't take advantage of the shots he did get. Yeah. Um, so what are you going to do if you're Hop, right? And he, I, watching social media, Hop was kind of getting criticized for not playing Nate more. But I was sitting there watching it, going, "Well, he is trying to play him. He's just knocking down. He's not knocking down the shots." So well, explain to me right now what could Nate give them that Sammy Timmons isn't giving them right now? Because Timmons, I feel, is like giving them he is kind a of a bit, raw, yeah. a little bit on both ends. Yeah. Yeah. And you're probably right, Chris. And I think that's maybe that's why Timmons is playing and a little bit, and Nate's not. Yeah. You know, but I agree with you. Because one of the things that I noted in, a, in an article I wrote a couple weeks ago, and just, and, and I think I think Hardy is, is is guilty of this. I know Sahonis is guilty of this a little bit. They really rely too much on Stewart to try to create some two-man game that just mm-hmm. doesn't work out. I mean, they want him to come up and screen up at the top of the key and stuff. It's fine and everything else, but when the ball just sits like that, it doesn't pop and it's not moving around. One of the things that's really helped them, I think, lately is that I think he's Hops finally got it through those guys' minds. Even if you're just passing it around the horn, find angles, get the ball popping, yeah. get the ball moving. And that will be the one, if there was one thing I will give Sammy Timmons massive credit for as an offensive player, because mm-hmm. he is limited. I mean, let's, totally. he's, he's a limited player offensively. But one thing I will give him credit for is he really understands his role in this offense. Absolutely. His offense is to get open, get the ball, and immediately distribute it. Mm-hmm. Pass it around. Set a screen for someone and then roll, find it, you know, find. I mean, he will make some great passes and he will keep the ball moving. And that's what they need more than anything. Because when those guys sit there at the top and they're just waiting for Stewart to come up, and you can tell sometimes he just gets frustrated by it because he's like, find me a wing that can get yeah. me the ball in the post. Because that's how we operate. Especially when your average height is, you know, like six, seven. Yeah. <laughs> like it should be easier. Yeah. I feel. No, it's just, it is interesting that way, but I think that's one of the reasons why I think they've started to have some success, Mm -hmm. even if Stewart is not in the game, because Sammy Timmons understands his role, and and he can get inside and do some post moves and things like that, but more than anything is that he can get some guys open by screening and rolling, but also getting the ball quickly around and just getting that thing getting that thing in motion Mm -hmm. and and you can even tell when hop sometimes is frustrated by it he'll immediately come out of timeout and he'll run that kind of weavy type stuff the Mm -hmm. motion that they'll do that'll tell you right away that he's not happy with the fact that the ball has just been stagnating yep you know it's it's just and i think that's been a huge key for them offensively if they just keep the ball popping outside of Nas and and Jaden, they really don't have a one-on-one guy yeah and that's been a pretty big challenge for them they're not that's not typically how Washington or West Coast basketball is played. Yeah. You know, that's especially how Rotary and all these guys run. It's very different. So this is not necessarily the kind of offense or the personnel's not ideal yeah. for kind of this West West Coast style of play. But it is interesting that it's just that he talked so passionately about this idea of one more, mm-hmm. one extra pass, one extra, mm-hmm. you know, one extra roll, one yeah, extra. I mean, what good is the extra pass if, and, and I'm not trying to bag on right here, but if he's your guy in the corner. Yeah. Is that really a higher percentage shot than, you know, Sahona shooting a contested three? I, I don't know that it is, right? You know, you got a bunch of guys who shoot in the low 30s, you know, all around the court. 
you know, looking for that extra pass while I'm all about the unselfish play and making that pass. Sometimes to me, it's like you're, you're passing up a good shot for maybe a more open shot from a worse player. Right. Well, and that's a good segue too, because now that kind of brings us to this idea of quad a green and what he could do if he even plays. I'm telling you guys right now, we don't know if he's going to play. We don't even know if he's going to be eligible to play. I don't even know if grades have necessarily been posted yet and all that stuff. So there's some unknowns there, but let's, Top uh, talk hypothetically, if if in fact he does become eligible and can play, I think what you just described in terms of you said like a whole perimeter of guys shooting in the 30s or what have you. Now all of a sudden, if you have Sahonis paired with Quad A Green and they're both shooting in the mid 40s mm-hmm. at three point shooting, now you've got two guys that you have to key on. Right. You can't just pee. It's not like it's going to be Sahonis and Elijah yeah. Hardy, where you know Hardy is shooting 15% or whatever yep. it is, and you can just slough off of him, and you can really focus your energies on Sahonis. Yep. Now, all of a sudden, with Quaddy Green, that's a whole different animal. Yeah. Yep. Um, thing is, though, I mean, he's going to be rusty. He's going to be four months rusty, three months rusty. But he has been practicing. He's been practicing. But so say they get him back for maybe in the finals, or which is what people are talking about at least. Right. Um, to me, the only way you use him is if uh, Sahonis and Hardy are crap in the bed, right? Otherwise, you know, if those guys are playing at least you know halfway competently, I don't think you risk it because what are you going to get? You just don't know. But here, but that's the hypo- the hypothetical is you assume Sahonis is going to start because mm-hmm. he's been starting yep. with Bay yep. and Carter. And then what happens if, you know, when you come, who's going to be the first guy off the bench? You know, they've been bringing Jaden off the bench, yep. which is obvious. Yep. But would you bring Quad A Green off the bench first before Hardy? Now? <sighs> probably, yes. He's gonna, he's still, I, I feel like even a rusty Quad A is probably better, more effective than a rusty, or than a, you know, d- I think the hey, one thing is he's playing. He's going to play within the offense. Yeah. So he's not going to turn the ball over. Yeah. As much. Will the shots fall? I don't know. I, I don't know, Chris. That's a really good question. I would say, no. You got to roll with the guys that got you to this point. Well, and and give give Hardy credit. He's going to be better defensively. Yeah. He's, is he? he? Well, he's he's a better on. Like I, we talked about before, I think he's a better on ball defender. Yeah, but is it enough that? I, I think he's a solid defender. He's not a so he's he's fast and he gets in front of people. He doesn't create steals. He's not deflecting lots of passes or anything like that. So I don't know. That's to me where I don't get too caught up in a Hardy's a natty pesky defender, but I don't think he's a a great defender. I think he's a solid one. Okay, well, fair enough. Fair That's enough. my take. Well, no, I think it's it is going to be a really interesting thing. I still think it's going to end up being kind of a moot point. I don't I, I, do I don't too. envision quite a green plan. But, you know, just if he does, I think it will be fascinating how Hopkins decides he wants to use him because mm-hmm. I think he's going to end up using him more than people think. they, they got to get past Arizona first. And as much as Washington really did beat the pants off him last week, um, they're probably the last team I think you want to play in the first round, right? Yeah. Because they've been game planning and scheming the zone for a week and a half now, right? Practicing, practicing against it. They played a game against it, got the tails waxed. Um, and then you potentially have Green coming back. So that would, to me, that's the team you don't want to play just because they're going to have a lot of extra uh, motivation, right? Washington's playing on house money, right? So to them, you, this is their only opportunity to get the tournament. But at the same time, 
Arizona's got all the motivation in the world right now to come out strong and, and <laughs> you know, get some revenge from last from being embarrassed on Saturday. Well, and going into the tournament, another good segue, but it really does make you question what Hardy was thinking with his theatrics yeah. in Tucson. Let's get him a little like, more fired up to play me again knew, next week. You knew <laughs> you were going to be playing them in less than a week. Yep. And yet you're going to go jaw to their bench. You're yeah. going to go wave off their crowd. Again, love the swagger, love mm-hmm. the attitude. But if if that was the if that's a team that you're never going to see again, yeah. that's one thing. That's one thing. You know, that's yep. hey, you know, bye. But you're playing them in less than a week, and you knew that. Yep. That's what makes that kind of crazy to me. Yep. So to me, this game is probably the toughest of any game that they would potentially face. Well, I wonder about that. So let's let's lay it out. So let's say they beat Arizona on Wednesday tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Then they would then they would play USC. Mm-hmm. We've already we already know they can beat USC. They yep. beat them by thirty two. Yep. So that's that's doable. Well, and furthermore, let's add to that that um, when you don't have a week, when you don't have a decent window to practice and prepare for Washington and the zone, right. it's different than every other team in the Pac twelve. Preparing for Washington is a different preparation game planning right. than anybody else. And no, this is definitely where having that kind of defense. It's, it should be. It should be a, a uh, uh, something that that gives them a leg up. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why I'm saying get past Arizona, then the world's your oyster. Yeah. So they play USC if they beat them, and then if they beat USC, they would play either Oregon, Oregon State, or Utah. Probably yep. Oregon. Yeah. Um, and Who's we know banged Oregon. Up they're banged up. They they they've lost a couple guys. Um, Great. I mean, one of the best backcourts in the country. They just oh, they got a Pritchard, huge matchup advantage over Washington in that regard. Right. But underneath the basket, it's a whole 180. It's you know completely different. Washington owns the post and the paint against Oregon. So um, I but, like that matchup. But then again, Dana Altman, fantastic coach. Yeah, can scheme a lot of different things. Can they will pressure. Yep. So they'll they'll try to do some things that Arizona State tried to do. Yep. Not not necessarily in the same scheme or same way. But generally speaking, they won't have any qualms about picking up full pressure. Yep. Uh, full court. So that'll be interesting, too. Um, I still think it's a relatively favorable matchup for a 12, for a 12 seed well, in yeah. the conference tournament. Though. But I think it is a, it is a testament to Washington and, and, and their ability to kind of persevere through these things. Where if you look at it, they don't have the odds of winning this tournament that a tw- normal twelve seed would. Agree. Their odds right now are are like of the six or seven seed. Yeah. And so I think that's in that's that'll tell you a lot because that tells you Vegas thinks pretty highly of 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 Washington as a twelve seed. They think they could be a real sleeper. Mm-hmm. Um, UCLA is the one that kind of concerns me just because they've been on the hot streak. Sanford's been hot, but, at but points, you wouldn't see either one of those games until, until the, the finals. finals, right? So, yep. So to finish this up, to wrap it up, give me your give me your prediction. <sighs> can we get, can I give you a prediction if they get past Arizona? <laughs> no, well, I think well, Arizona's think, going to be a struggle. Give me a, I, hypo, give me a I, hypothetical prediction. I'm going to beat Arizona. Then what? Okay, if they beat Arizona, I bet you they get to the finals. That's my prediction. I think they're going to the finals. Okay, you don't, you, but you don't believe they'll they'll get four done in four days. Well, what this season has showed us, consistently wise or consistency wise, 
um, where Washington stands any chance of putting together four games in a row of good basketball. Yeah. Zero. They have no track record of that. Right. Uh, they don't have the shooters. They just don't. But it's a conference tournament, and you got, you know, Stewart and Jaden. So anything could happen. Um, I, they got to get past Arizona first. I don't feel great about that. I think Arizona's got all the motivation in the world to win that game. If they get past Arizona, I think they get to the finals and lose to UCLA. Wow. Okay. That's very specific. Yep. I like it. But you have to admit, and I think you agree, tournaments are different animals. Totally. I mean, so can they do four and four? We saw it. We even saw it, what, didn't Oregon do it last year? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's possible. It can be done. Um, You just have to be on a really great streak. You've got to have great cohesion, and you've got to be able to fight through a lot of adversity to get there. Because you know at some point in any of those games, bad things are going to happen. Yep. You might be up, and then all of a sudden, just like at Arizona, you're up 15 at half. Now, all of a sudden, you know, it's down to like three, two points, That's my biggest concern is, okay, hey, they're up four with, you know, three minutes to go. You can't salt it away at this point. Right. Yeah, does does Washington have the ball handlers and the, you know, capability to even, you know, close out a game? And can they continue to make their shots at the the strike? Right. Yeah, and I I don't know if they can. But... That said, beat Arizona, sky's the limit. All right, folks, there you have it. Aaron Beach thinks they get to the finals if they win Wednesday. Yes. So I'll put that caveat out there. Please. But that still means four, that means four games in four days. So I think we have, we have uh, at least argued somewhat, I don't know if it's persuasively or not, but at least we've argued the point that it can be done. Can be done, absolutely. There you go. So we'll wrap it up there. Uh, hope everybody enjoys the tournament, and it will be very, very interesting following the Huskies all the way through. Wash your hands. Okay. <laughs> Public service announcement. <laughs> and that's important, too. We got we all have to do that. We actually found a bottle of Purell, so that was funny. Yep. So anyways, for the head of hoops, Aaron Beach, and his uh, health-conscious self, uh, this is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com. Go dogs. Go dogs. Thank you.